G'day, you are listening to Living the Dream. This is part four of our three-part election special. You're here with... John. And Dave. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the policies that are being put forward by the LNP and the ALP and try to work out what that all means uh, after the election for those of us that would like to see the world to be a substantially different kind of place. You can think of this as getting ready for the hangover. What should we do after the votes have been counted? John, where are we going to start? Well, maybe we should start being doing a bit of a retrospective over what we've discussed so far. Um, so we would start off then talking about, we'll have to start off talking about the Stronger Choices package and mm-hmm. particularly talking about the, um, the Commission of Audit as well. Okay. All right. Well, it's, in your mind, John, how do you think election results are going to go? Um, look... I think that there'll probably be a sizable swing against the LNP, probably somewhere in the order of 10 to 12 percent. Mm-hmm. And Cameron even looks like he'll lose his seat. The LNP don't want to talk about it too much, obviously. Um, so there's the potential that he, even if he loses his seat, could stay on in Parliament, trying to get parachuted into another seat. But he's just said that wouldn't happen, and he's got pretty low support base in the party right now. So he's probably going to be turfed out. We'll probably get a new premier. On Sunday, but it will be an LNP premier. Okay. Why should those of us that are kind of committed to the emancipatory overthrow of capitalism care about the election result? Is there any reason? Well, I mean, there are a few ways to think about it. I guess the first way you can think about it is, you know, there's a two-party duopoly, basically, that have very similar policies on most issues. So in that perspective, the election doesn't matter. But I think what elections, and I guess being engaged in the capital P political arena mean is that we get to 
look at the inner workings of capital and how capital is thinking about itself and how the state is trying to manage and run capital. So it's important that we look at politics and look at big P politics in order to get an insight into how things are really, how things are working in the economic yeah. and social sphere. They then influence our movements. So we kind of we can't ignore big P politics because that's where you know that we've talked about before in our framing of this kind of series was that the state functions as the major force to ensure social reproduction of capital yes. accumulation. Yes. But in the context of what's going on more broadly in capital yes. accumulation. That's right. So the, the two big issues that are being played out in Queensland are what are facing Australian capitalism on a whole, which is how to how can the state finance itself? How can it actually afford to do the tasks of social reproduction? Mm-hmm. Combined with how can the state work to stimulate uh, the accumulation of capital now that the mining boom is running aground. Yep. And so I think it's the LNP that has the the clearest strategy and that's the Stronger Choices package. Yep. That's right. And certainly I think the election so far has been framed as the LNP running yep. for the Stronger Choices and the ALP yep. basically being the non, no, not Stronger Choices party. That's you know, right. as basically yep. uh, an almost uh, indistinguishable, well, distinguished only from the LNP yep. that it opposes asset sales. Yep. So, if you, I might quickly, for listeners, look a little bit more in depth about what Stronger Choices is about. So, Stronger Choices um, is very much framed within the language that the LNP have been using since they're elected, that the level of state debt is too high. Yep, right? this and is influencing the Commission of Audit as well. And this is the thing that needs to be addressed, yep. right? And the main plan that they've come up with, with Stronger Choices, and this was quite interesting as well because the process of Stronger Choices was to engage in kind of a kind of quasi-staged form, yeah, quasi form of community consultation yeah. where apparently 497 people participated with reports. Yeah. You know, amazing, yeah, right? about 50,000 people who were who started and only 400 or so finished once they realised that the questions were staged. <laughs> so, you know, in, in itself drew a lot of kind of, you know, that shows some of the things we're also trying to say about yeah. any political condition that we exist in. Yeah, political yeah. parties can't really command stable bases anymore, so they yeah. attempt to engage in these manufacturing. All right, so what it's face aimed at is the effective privatisation, but effective leasing yeah. of major assets. And these are the Gladstone Ports Corporation, the ports of Townsville with the Mount Isa Rail Line, Sunwater Industrial Pipeline, Stanwell Corporation Limited, CS Energy Limited. Then there are a range of non-core business activities such as coal mines and retail elect- electricity functions, which are just listed under non-core assets of the generation and distribution <laughs> business. So no idea what they are. Powerlink, Energex Limited and Ergon Limited yep. are the um, items that are being planned to be leased. Now, they're expecting to raise, and we don't know where these figures have come from, $37 billion from these leasings. Yep. What they plan to do is then three things, to take $25 billion of this and to pay down state debt. So mm-hmm. state debt, which they're predicting or arguing will be around about $80 billion, depending on how you do the accounts, yep. will be reduced to $55 billion. $8.6 billion of it will be then spent on the Stronger Choices Future Investment Program. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to point out here is what, and what they say is that these figures don't include money from the federal government for the Asset Recycling Initiative. Yep. So for listeners um, who've heard us talk about this before, this is a federal government initiative which hasn't passed through no. Parliament yet, which basically says if states sell assets... Um, with the intention of using those funds to then invest in terms of infrastructure construction, they will then get more money, right? And this is on a first-come, first-served basis. And I think yep. the amount is it's 
something around like 15% of the total costs of the procedure. But yeah. check those numbers. Like I'm yeah. not not 100% sure about that. So that money will then be spent on the Stronger Choices Future Investment Program, and there's a list of those. And they're basically what do they boil down to is. And if you've got the Stronger Choices, if you're reading through with your Stronger Choices final plan at the moment, this is on page 41 of that document. It's roads, roads, infrastructure, trains, schools, rural and regional economic development, local government government co-investment funds, natural disasters money, something called the Entrepreneurial and Investment and Innovation Fund, which sounds like a good um, pot of cash to try to get your money on, the Community Hospitals Fund, the Cultural Investment Fund, so a total package of $8.6 billion. And... This is where the claim for 25,000 functional full-time jobs are going to come yep. from. This, yep. this is a huge state expenditure yep. basically to create um, a profit-making opportunities for all those construction companies that don't have mines left to build. That's right. But this is all lot also relying on the approval and getting finance for the Galilee mine, which okay. is 25,000 jobs are coming from the Galilee mine construction. So that's it, basically. Yeah, yeah. That, that, if this, if the, is it the Indian, the Indi- if the Indian government don't put up the money, I believe, for the Galilee Basin. Okay. I believe that that one is going to fall through. So uh, that, it's relying on the approval of this mine, of this mine getting getting the money it needs. And we've pointed out before that all these figures about reduced debt are based on Queensland Treasury funds that expect um, in 2015-2016 financial yep. a year from memory that the, the gross state, um, so the equivalent of GDP for the state, That's right. um, so GSP, yep. will be 6%, right? Yep. And this is all based on an idea of a 22% increase in LNG gas sales. Yep. I think this is a highly um, optimistic view of what the global economy yeah. <laughs> is going to be like. Yep. And what the, so, so even these figures are based on a really optimistic prediction of what uh, gross state um, product, uh, growth will be like. And then $3.4 billion Mm. are part of the Stronger Choices Cost of Living Fund. So what this is meant to be is money from the sales that are meant to directly try to lower the cost of living for the ordinary person out there. Sorry for the noise. We are, again, just having burritos in Cooparoo. Uh, For the ordinary person out there, the only thing we know that this money is being spent on so far is to pay the solar rebate Mm. for the companies that will buy the leases of the power production. So for those of you outside of Queensland or those of you in Queensland that haven't followed um, this picture, (laughs) this situation, basically what happens if you generate solar power and you produce excess for your use, you sell that power back to the companies. Mm. And the LNP government have kind of undermined the amount that you pay that back progressively but a lot of people have quite good locked in deals from when they yep. started yep. and this was meant to be some kind of you know, market incentive for people to generate power mm. through solar so basically what they're saying is that if you're a company that takes these leases rather than mm. you having to pay that rebate yep. the funds that are generated by you <laughs> buying these assets will then be used for you to pay this rebate back arguing that this will lead to a reduction in uh, consumers' bills. I don't know. I haven't seen anything to say that this will definitely happen, but that's the Stronger Choices package. Neoliberals eat your heart out on that. Yeah, so, you know, what is it about? It's about using asset sales to pay down debt, stimulate growth, and then to, you know, arguably to deal with uh, cost of living, but really to deal deal with subsidising the companies. And, John, you've also been doing some reading about the, the process of how Stronger Choices was put together. You were commenting no. before about um, um, the, the consultants. Oh yes, so so basically, getting into labor's costings of it here, labor wants to save 1.7 billion dollars in their cost in their costings, which were released yesterday, and quite a lot of that is apparently coming from cutting back on 
consultancy fees, I believe it's 300 to 400 million dollars, will be cut by firing a whole bunch of consultants who are actually hired by the LMP to facilitate the privatization process. <laughs> and, and we also don't like that that figure of 3.7 billion dollars. That's not set yeah. in stone, right? That's just no. an estimate of what they might be worth. That's right. Know. Yeah, and they, they say it's a conservative estimate, but I mean, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? Now, the, there's kind of political point I kind of want to make about this. So yeah. when, I think um, who knows what other things are in the policy, yeah. you know, um, yeah. bag of the LNP government, but one of the big front lines yep. that's going to happen yep. is going to be around the question of privatisation. Yep. Now, I think there's a couple of things that, for my mind, mm. that the kind of majority of the left, what Rob talked about is the institutional left, so the trade unions, the political yep. class yep. associated with it, or what we've called the Facebook left or the liberal left, mm. normally want to think about the question of privatisation uh, in two ways. That A, that governments are just committed to doing this because they're somehow, you know, Thatcherite um, and have arguments about efficiency, and certainly they draw on that, the LNP does draw on that rhetoric. And also that we should fight these privatisations from essentially an idea that public assets are somehow superior, mm. right? Any comments on that kind of approach? Well, I mean, I think it, it's the, the whole idea of this is very existing purely at the level of ideas. It doesn't really look at concrete at, 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 at the concrete realities as to why. As to sorry, take over. Okay, that's a, that's right. I'll let you think. It was my kind of point about this as well is that yeah. what we have to really say is the reason for these privatisations isn't about just a right wing commitment to you know the market as the better organiser of social services, yeah. but a very material uh, problem that the state finds itself in. Yeah, you know that that's one thing. Also, I think um, that we need to address that the fact that state ownership, how do we evaluate state ownership, right? How are we going to fight on the level of, of privatisation? Yeah. So my general thinking is that state ownership is not functionally less capitalist than private ownership, right? Yep. The, the state works to further, accumulate, further guarantee the accumulation of capital. Mm. However jobs and conditions of workers in state employment are mm. normally higher mm. than the jobs and conditions of those in private, private industry. And this is partly because since a lot of the public sector doesn't produce commodities directly for exchange, mm. the kind of coercive disciplinary mechanism of, the, of market exchange doesn't work directly on companies. Mm. And this kind of allows workers a greater space to articulate their own interests, right, as a general model. Mm combined with a history of higher rates of unionisation, yep. Um, yep. managers who aren't under the same vices or pressures, yep. it does mean if you do work in the public service now, you find a lot of kind of fake or a SATS market mechanisms mm. that try to push these rationalities on you. Yep. But this argument I'm making is different. It's like a class argument as opposed mm. to a public sector argument. Yep. Like the argument for the better conditions in the public service isn't because public ownership is somehow one step on the road to socialism. No. It's more because of the lack of direct market application mm. means that we have greater room to articulate our interests. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we should fall into this trap mm. of basically being cheerleaders for state ownership versus private ownership, right? Yep. As opposed to a class position, which is about mm. what battlefields do we articulate our, our argument on. Mm. So with facing privatisation, I think the argument needs to be taken up. It's about conditions. It's mm. about the rates of work that are forced on. It's about costs yep. that are appearing yep. in our pocket. Yep. Not cheerleaders for state ownership. No. Which I know is a controversial position, right? Because, mm. you know, um, 
most of the left have kind of taken up this like in this really you'd be a historian you'd be able to reflect yeah, on this yeah. you know, in yeah. the 70s yeah. it was highly critical of state ownership but that shifted yeah. to yeah. now since you know mm. this basically what the left does is defend state versus market yeah they see the they see state owned assets as somehow superior to to, to to private owned assets, and the way that it's presented is because they are kind of ours. Mm-hmm. You know, these are presented as these these state assets are presented as ours, but you know, in the same way that kind of sometimes the ABC is presented as ours. Yeah, which is functionally a true, right? Like, yeah, that's right. You know, like the formal ownership of the state yeah. doesn't give no. ordinary people, no. everyday people, like, yeah. to to use better language, everyday yeah. people. No one's yeah. ordinary. No, <laughs> no, one's, people, no, one's ordinary. no one's ordinary. Everyday people, yeah. effective control over these institutions, they either work out or determine large parts of their lives. Yep. Uh, uh, they are, you know, the right is often right. They are often bureaucratic, yeah. inefficient. We yeah. work in the public service. Yep. It's often just as alienating as yeah. working in yeah. private sector, right? That's right. Um, the difference being, though, sometimes you can get away with more because there's not yeah. the direct pressure yeah. of the market, right? Yeah. And the idea is that keeping it public will make it cheaper as well. So yeah. Is that, you know, we get better access to services because there's not the, the same profit motive, which is increasingly not the case in large sectors of the public sector where private sector management strategies are being enforced on, for instance, in Centrelink and other places. Or they internalise these kind of oh, yeah, yeah. Like they, they just, you know, they, they, they become more capitalist than the capitalists sometimes. Why, why is this important? I think because when we wake up on mm. February the 1st, when the LNP yeah. have won, yep. a bit of a hangover from watching the election, also yep. from watching the Asia Cup, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's the final <laughs> on Saturday. And we think about how are we going to kind of get ready to prepare for some of the contestations. Mm. This is a discussion that needs to happen. You yeah. know, how like how does a radical emancipatory position yeah. look at state assets that are now facing privatization and how do we articulate those as part of a broader public conversation? You know, that mm. one of the things that um, Rob talked about in in his interview about Queensland Uncut was mm. this lost skill of organising and this yeah. lost skill of communicating, right? Mm. A two-way practice or a multiple mm. practice, listening yep. and talking. How are we going to talk about privatisation yeah. in a way that articulates a lived class interest about yep. conditions, about costs, about what's yep. happening across the board, you know? Yep. Because the other thing that I think about as well is, you know, that uh, employment of workers in energy production Say we're talking about the energy assets, Mm. they're often some of the better paid, skilled blue collar work, right? Part of the problem for capital in Australia is over the mining boom, the shortage of skilled blue collar work does mean these workers, often highly unionised, were able to push forward wages and conditions that um, others, that the companies didn't want. And this has had a flow on effect across the economy. So the smashing of these kind of bastions of skilled, high-paid, blue-collar work is an attempt to push down the conditions and wages of all of us across the board. Across the board, definitely. And, I mean, there's already measures being taken in QR, I know, and other places where they're trying to drive down these conditions in preparation for the sell-off. And so the, that's a certain area definitely where we can, where, you know, we, the royal we. Yeah, well, this is another problem that we're talking about. Who's this we, right? It's, it's possible to articulate um, a politics based on, you know, people's living conditions and whatnot yeah. that also feeds into broader and important political questions. But then it's not to say that people's everyday living questions aren't important political questions. Yeah. They are. It's just articulating something in between, I guess, what Lenin would term e- e- economism yeah. and something else. And this is something we might talk about at the end of the show, you yeah. know, like yeah. about how we're going to orientate sure. um, yeah. our week. 
and I'm talking specifically the two of us and the yeah, listeners. Yeah. So let's yeah. make a restrictive yeah. we. Yep. Those of us involved in the conversation, what kind yeah. of things we can do if this yep. is the landscape yep. uh, we, yep. very specifically, are going to yep. find ourselves in. But there is a chance yep. the LNP might not win the election. They might, yeah. Not. I know that John Quiggan has suggested this morning that they may they may win, that the ALP may win, and it's okay. possible. So this is yeah. this is the alternative plan for capital yeah. in Queensland. Yep. Pushed forward by yep. the bastions of the workers, the Australian yep. Labor yep. Party. Tell us about it, John. Well, basically, there's not a lot going on on the Labor side of things. They are proposing very, very small targets. They're proposing very, very low expenditure, possibly to contrast with Newman's massive pork barrelling. But also, what's interesting to me, and something I've mentioned a bit in discussion with you, Dave, is that they want to bring a state productivity commission. Are we now just to articulate the, the productivity commission exists at the federal level, and I think there are a few state ones as well. But basically, they have always served to fight for what we might term neoliberal yeah. approaches to economics. So I'm critical of the way that neoliberalism is used, yes, right? Certainly. But you could definitely say the Productivity Commission is an institutionalised organ yeah. to suggest how to organise uh, questions of the state and questions of capital accumulation in Australia mm. to a firmly neoliberal model. Oh, and that's the ALP suggestion. Yes. Right? They, 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 well, they want to establish one of these here because they think that it will drive down... There, there, there's a lovely connection somehow between this and driving down electricity prices. And yeah, I mean, like some of this stuff is just ridiculous. And I, I think the other thing we've got to say as well is that, look, I haven't looked at it in this day. Yeah. Keep on going. Any more policies that are jumping out at you from the from the LP? Not, not they're really. They're going to be tougher they, on bikies now. They're going to be. They they say they're not going to rescind the bikies legislation. Unbelievable. They're going to right? keep that in. They're going to um, approve a whole bunch of environmental regulate deregulations that the LNP want to put through quietly, of course. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're they're proposing modest increases in you know nurses and other and other 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 small things. They're going to give some money. Both sides want to give money to Townsville towards stadiums. See, this is the thing as well. <laughs> and also as well, they've come out saying yes, infrastructure is the yeah. solution. Yeah. It'll give us a give us a year. Yeah, you know? so it makes it Before we even get into a political analysis, yeah. there, yeah. like, what the fuck do these people do with their time? Yeah. Right? <laughs> three years to come up with three know? pages. <laughs> and you know, an unreadable website. Yeah. The thing that I think is in in my mind, it's really important. Is yeah. right that the kind of um, the the fronts of the ALP trade unions. Yeah. So um, stand for Queensland, not yeah. for sale. Yeah. Which have a lot of funding behind them. Which have full time organisers. Yeah. You know, are basically running that all these questions are electoral questions. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. The ALP are useless and they're yeah. going to lose. Yeah. Right. Now, when Newman won last time. Mm. I thought something that was really telling was that the yeah. following May Day, which was the last proper May Day, yep, yep. The, basically the ALP had really closed the kind of political space within mm. that kind of formal... For those of you that don't live in Queensland, um, May Day, historically, has been quite large in mm. Queensland, sizeable union um, mobilisations, and also those of us on the fringes, mm. you know, both as unionised workers and also members of radical left had spaces to articulate yep. themselves. Yep. One of the things Newman did was abolish, abolish that as a public holiday. That's right. You know, as a way of, like, flicking dirt in the union's eyes. Yep. Um, but on the first one, after the Newman has, was elected, they mm. closed down that political space. Mm. So there wasn't even the room for tiny little left groups to have their stalls. No. And everything was badged with a three-word ALP slogan that was, like, renew reinvent yeah. something else. So Yeah, there, there was this whole discursive renewal lasted about six months. Yeah, so, but I think it does mean that A, the ALP's got nothing, like this. we have yeah. a major strategy aimed at the ALP, mm. right? They're yep. going to lose. Yep. If they won, yep. well, 
not only are, can they change the material conditions of capital accumulation, but they've got nothing yeah. suggested. Yeah. But if they're defeated again, are we yeah. going to see even more of a double down, right? Mm. More of a restriction of these spaces, and that's mm. something that's worth thinking about for us. Who definitely because you know, as as Rob talked about in the last talk, mm. you know, the kind of way that people wanted to relate to the institutional left is a real mm. problem, that's right? right. Yeah. And present and people should listen to that show to get some of those. Definitely, it's a great show. I think also there's the possibility of significant wave of renewed defeatism as well. Now that everyone's kind of hoping, you know, that the ALP will have this marvelous, marvelous victory, there's the, the possibility of quite a lot of possibility of renewed defeatism, and there haven't even been significant social movements under the under the there haven't been significant social movements under the Newman government. But you know, it'll be, make it even more difficult. The train will become even more inhospitable. I think to like. To significant mobilizations, unless we can change the way that the left is is imagining this, is imagining these questions, the way that the left is thinking, for instance, towards a Labour Party, yeah, trade that's, unions. Uh, that's kind of a difficult question, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, like on one hand, I think there will be, hmm. like for those people that are aimed, and there's a lot. I think it's like I'm just going to go off, but Catherine, I think there's a large section of. Now let me pull back. Like I think one of the things that does exist in this particular historical moment, this mm-hmm. conjuncture, right? Yep is a sizable minority of, for lack of a better term, left dissatisfaction with how the world exists. Yep. Um, And they're aimed largely towards electoral processes. Yep. Right? So, and this has partly been expressed in the March Australia, March in March phenomena. Yep. Yep. So I do think that defeat of the ALP will lead to a certain amount of demoralisation about that. Sure. If that will flow on to dampening the possibilities of the rise of social movements, Mm. I'm not sure if that's true. Yeah. Right? And that's just because I think... um, Now, where you just put a point where you don't think there are significant social movements, I don't think there are significant social movements. Do you want to tell us a bit more about why you have that analysis? Well, I mean... I mean, March in March has been most probably one of the most significant mobilisations of the of the left, I suppose, recently, which have petered out. Obviously, there are you know there are some interesting movements in some of the unions in the NUW in particular. A renewed wave of kind of direct action type protests. There's been some protests in Queensland and elsewhere about free university, mm-hmm. free universities. So there are these small movements that are occurring, but there's nothing. I suppose, on the level of something like the anti- like the, the work choices campaign or anything to this perspective, that so really is mobilising significant sections of, of people across the class. So I think that's you know if we were to talk about social movement, then we're not yeah. just talking about activist groups doing activist things. No, that's right. We're talking about a substantial minority of people becoming involved yeah. in collective agitational activity yep. in a way that often breaks with the norm. Yep. You know, that, that fundamentally breaks with the way... You know, that yep. ruptures everyday yep. life. Yep. That, and, and it can take a number of different forms. We probably don't even know what they're going to look oh, like. You right. know, I mean, Those of us that are immersed in a left tradition will probably yep. be shocked and surprised yep. by the social movements of yep. the future, so, right? Yep, and, as, as we should be. Yeah, <laughs> because they'll, they'll invent new things. That's right, yeah. So I think, I think that's kind of the really interesting point because you know, that's what we orientate ourselves towards, you yep. know? Like, yep. Navarra FM, who uh, are a great radio show that people should listen to, okay. have often used the term the party of utopia, right, yep. as a term to describe yep. people with our orientation. So as, yep. as pa- militants and partisans of the party of utopia, mm. you know, it's these social movements that don't yet exist mm. that we are kind of waiting and... Yeah. That, that, that we're investing in, right? Like, yeah, um, and right. I, was, I was thinking on the train that 
the only way you can t- detect their possibility mm. is almost like a vibe, like a feeling. Yeah. You know, in the, yep. in the beginning of uh, the Communist Manifesto, you know, Marx talks about yeah. the spectre of communism. Yeah. Similarly, at best, yeah. all you can do today is detect that there's a spectre of resentment, discontent, discontent yeah. that yep. could mobilise in something more. And yep. we don't know what that'll be. No, right? we don't. But... Um, while I'm ranting about this, yep. Paolo Verno um, also has a great bit in one of his essays where he talks about all this kind of activity is almost like premised on a miracle. Yes. You know, we're, we're doing something waiting for a miracle to emerge yep. that we believe will happen, but yep. we still catch us by surprise when it emerges. Yep. So that in mind, how can this kind of analysis of the election in any way play into... Um, like, how do we relate... We, very yeah. specifically, two yeah. of us, yeah, yeah. you know, people listening to the show, the analysis yeah. of what's actually happening in capitalism, how does that yeah. fit in with tasks premised on the arrival of the miracle? Because well, I think that's the important question. I, I, I find it difficult to imagine tasks premised on the arrival of a miracle. Miracles, mir- 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 miracles tend to be rather spontaneous. And miraculous, And miraculous right? in their way. Uh, um, but I think, like what I was saying before, it's important to extend that as well, to, to think that saying what's actually happening is really significant. You know, not, like, actually analysing actually what you, what um, particularly Dave, you were doing with, you know, the workers audit in particular, is really significant work. But thinking about what's happening in capitalism, mm-hmm. really trying to imagine, I guess, what's going on in capital, trying to really articulate and understand that properly, because without that foundation, we're not going to really be able to understand class composition in particular. Yeah. We're not going to be able to understand new forms of work, new forms of living, and we're not going to be able to be able to see where these potential, the spaces in which these potential movements may, might mobilise. It's important to think about these questions and to think about, and I guess also just to return to, given we haven't spoken about this already, our perennial theme of anti-politics mm-hmm. is that anti-politics seems to indicate a distinct disenfranchisement with politics as it is. It's being articulated particularly with Palmer. He's got a lovely slew of new ads on YouTube yep. at the moment, which you can all watch. Um, but particularly just that, you know, politics as it stands isn't working. People understand that. And the way that people are articulating this opposition, which and they're enwrapping politics and economics and society in this, I think, yeah. are looking for alternatives. There's probably going to be a higher rate of independent participation in the new incoming parliament. Mm-hmm. Talks of at least six crossbenchers, apparently. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's significant to think that anti-politics is, all, is also saying that there's a class, there's some sort of consciousness which is, you know, perhaps um, in itself but not for itself. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, that, you know, there's a beginning, there's a resentment that's developing but that it can't be articulated in class terms. It's not being articulated in class terms. Yeah. Well, that, that thing as well as well, you know, I use language of class, you use the language yes. of class. Yes, But the class movement of the future might not. Oh, no, right? no. And that's what something is the, uh, What really... is the demos we use? The uh, attitude, I think? Or... I, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that, that's something that we should always um, be, be aware of. So I think that's part of a practical task is then mm. demystification, right? And I think this yeah. is very different from the standard left practice of ideological propaganda. Yeah. You know, this is not about recruiting people yeah. to a project. Yeah. This is about an attempting to, yeah. as a way of under, like trying to trying to participate in the process of generating understanding of the world to yeah. people, to act as an attempt to help and aid mm. our collective process of articulating our own struggles, That's right? right? So, and this is also not like the Messiah coming down from the mountain with the truth. No, you know, no. This is a different it's process. slow that's, work of analysis. Yeah, that, that's a useful task, oh, right? Um, yeah. I think also as well, like, 
the, the problem with the kind of waiting for mir- the miracle language yeah. can often see like you know here's us anti-capitalists sitting over in one space and the yeah, miracle yeah. will come from somewhere else mm. I think you know we all exist within this space this mm. world I think we individually small mm. groups we will mm. be involved in struggles mm. I think part of the challenge that um, Rob made was mm. that the question that, pe- that can be asked mm. is how do we win yeah, so like that's yeah. the starting yeah. point, and yeah. very specifically in a struggle, how do we win? Mm. I can, I think that 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 question involves like combining two separate elements, right? Yeah. One is, well, the only way we could win is if something that's seemingly impossible becomes possible, right? That's right. There's an yeah. eruption. Yeah. But another thing, saying, are there things that we can do now? Yeah. That might mm. rolling the dice, flipping the coin, somehow yeah. connect with that eruption. And the yeah. fact is that you know. Um, when we see the eruptions happen, when we look yeah. at movements of squares, great, you know, yeah, we never right. think about all the tiny things that those people who are involved in the original meetings were involved in before that never worked, right? That's like, right. you yeah, know, yeah. so we should, yeah. like, I think that's part of the what needs to be, um, can be talked about, maybe what needs to be talked about, can yeah. be talked about after the LNP wins, yeah. how do we then win, yeah, right? That's right? And this is a combination of both struggles in the present and that might take a lot of forms because I think Mm. uh, something that people don't talk about is creating commons, creating other Mm. forms of alternatives that might not be direct on direct battles which the kind of capital R revolutionary left have often gone, ah hippie lifestyle nonsense. But actually I think uh, really more and more important, right? Like, um, And that has to be combined with more antagonistic struggles. Mm. I've I've lost my train of thought. (laughs) Yeah, well, like we probably getting to a point where we should be thinking about wrapping up anyway. anyway we have to go back to work. We do have to go back to work. Yeah, well, I mean, just on that topic, just lastly, like, I mean, we should, you know, like, comrades in, 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 in Syriza, in Greece, you know, like, reading interviews with them, you know, with, with leading activists in the party, you know, even with this movement of the squares, you know, mm-hmm. even with the movements that they had there, they had no idea yeah. that they could ever achieve the success that they that they achieved. You know, mm-hmm. they, they went from having 4% four years ago to, to now being a commanding stake in government. Yeah. Like, these things can change really quickly and we can't judge the forms they're going to take. Yeah. They might take this sort of, you know, to use the derisive term, bourgeois democratic form. Yeah. There, there, are, there are lots of forms in which in which renewed struggle can take and we need to be open to those. Yeah. And it's interesting, we can't get away from this language of the we. No. Right? And this is, yeah. like, and I just kind of, probably because that's been the problem that's plagued yeah, our discussion. Yeah. Yes. The thing that I think about it, you know, there's a bit where Baju writes in the century saying that the yeah. problem of the we is a crucial yeah. problem, right? Yep. So this is on big picture, the yep. problem of the we is how how is a new public collectivity of struggle going to be invented? How are yep. we going to develop a new we? Yep. But then there's also, and I think that's great, yep. but then there's this, also this problem of the left tradition, particularly the Leninist and Trotskyist tradition, yeah. yep. where someone stands up in a meeting and says, comrades, we need to, yep. and that's like an instruction, right? Yep. And yep. I always find it's a terrible form of address. Very didactic. And, and, but the most impotent version of that, yeah. right, is when you sit in a small meeting of four people yeah. and someone says, we need to make sure we, meaning like the meeting of four people, yeah, could yeah. somehow speak to the class, right? Yep. So yep. I think the kind of two versions of the we that I want to talk about yeah. are either the very small version, yep. which is the we in a room, in yep. a conversation, yep. at a specific moment, yep. which is like how can this group of people yep. engage in something coherent now, yep. right? That's right. That's actually in our control. Because when yep. people say, we need to make sure the unions do this, that's how do you control, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Anytime you're in a meeting when someone says that, unless yeah. you're actually running a slate in a union, get out. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? 
And that's because you hold leadership position <laughs> yeah. and like a sizable voting yeah. block. Then yeah. get out, right? Yeah. Uh, um, or the other we is the yeah. collective to come. You know, that's right. the class yeah. form yeah. that might not use the language of class yeah. in the future. This is what I, Bouncing what I mean. back between yeah. those two things. Yeah. I, I just don't like to use the term the working class. So you don't use the term we. Yeah. Perhaps. So I need to be more critical of myself in this in this use of language. And that'll be challenges. That'll be yeah. a challenge too, is inventing the yeah. right language. Yeah, that's so, what we need to think about come, come Monday as well. Like, what is the... Like, there are so many questions that, need, that, that, that will be posed, I think. We, so the, what people in Queensland can expect yeah. is probably stronger choices. Stronger choices, yes. Stronger choices, stronger teams, stronger everything. <laughs> and the challenge is going to be how to respond, how to, respond. to stronger choices yep. in, in a way that both connects to our lived needs but yep. also hopefully points the direction in a different kind of future. Definitely. All right, John, have you enjoyed this process? I think it's been really good to be able to talk about these issues, and I know that at least a few people have been listening in, and who knows, we might consider a new round of podcasts later on. I think think we've increased... For regular listeners of Living the Dream, I think you can expect expect uh, conti- um, an increasing range of podcasts in the future. Did you say next year or new year? No, I said in the, the, the rest of the year. Oh, rest of the year. Okay. Yeah, I'm suddenly going incredibly disorientated. No. All right. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for listening, Living the Dream. This is the end of part four of our three-part election special. I'm Dave. See you later. Thanks.